What kind of crazy people are you guys? How in the world do we have a room full of people on Valentine's Day coming to receive ashes at church? That's wild. Y'all are crazy. Since y'all are skipping out on Valentine's Day, I thought I would commission you a Valentine's Day card to remind you that Lent has always been a part of Valentine's Day and you're not crazy. So you're welcome for that. If you've got a Bible tonight, let's turn to Genesis chapter three. Yes, Genesis. Where I thought we would take a moment to look at the scriptures um, commonly known as the fall, not all of the scriptures related to the fall, but particularly the ones where uh, a curse is pronounced upon the serpent and consequences are pronounced upon humanity. And I thought that we would talk about a few things that are extremely relevant to a night like tonight, Ash Wednesday. And so I thought we would talk tonight about the fight of your life. Everybody say the fight of your life. I thought we would also talk about the fear of death. Everybody say the fear of death. And I thought we would also talk about the future past. Everybody say the future past. And yes, that is an X-Men movie reference. You're welcome. So Genesis chapter three, verse 14 is where we'll begin. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, that is deceiving Adam and Eve, Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. I want to talk to you about the fight of your life for a minute. Now this text, these particular verses are commonly um, interpreted with a messianic perspective just straight away. Um, it's just viewed that Jesus is clearly the seed of the woman who's clearly going to defeat the seed of the serpent, and that's what it is. Well, certainly, that was not the original meeting, and I actually think there's a lot better places to look for messianic interpretations in the scripture than these two verses. And so that's, that's actually not what I think this is primarily saying. And I wanted to give you a few reasons. Um, I don't think this is necessarily pointing directly to Jesus or should be interpreted primarily messianically. Um, first of all, because there's maybe a, a, a couple of problems with the word that's translated seed here in English. It's not clear to many interpreters and commentators whether this word is singular, referring to one person, one human being, or it's plural, referring to a corporate entity, a group of people. In fact, people like John Calvin interpreted uh, this, the seed of the woman to refer to the church. He was thinking about it corporately and he found that a more appropriate interpretation than it literally referring to Jesus. So is the word seed singular or plural? It's one thing. Another interesting thing is the New Testament writers did a lot of great messianic interpretation. I'm a big fan. Uh, one of the things they didn't use was, do was use these verses to point back to Jesus. In fact, that never happens in the New Testament. These verses are never in the New Testament pulled out to refer to Jesus. Doesn't happen. It's all, in fact, these verses are only referred to in the New Testament one time in Romans chapter 16, 19, which in VBS, when I was a kid, we used to sing a song called Romans 16, 19 says, 
and he talks about how the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. And that's, that is a reference to this verse. But the your feet in Romans 16, 19 is not talking directly about Jesus. Your in Romans 16, 19 is the church. So it was corporate. One more reason I haven't been a fan of interpreting this particular passage in a messianic way is because of the word um, crush or strike or bruise. If you have your Bible, some translations will say, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Many translations, like the one I'm reading from tonight, actually use the same word for both. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel. And that's because this also, this word is translated, it's very similar, it comes from the same root. It's almost indistinguishable. And many people don't think these are different things happening. It's not trying to say, I don't think, that Jesus is gonna be the one who strikes the death blow, and then you're gonna strike some other blows that are significant, but not mortal. I don't think that's what it's saying. That's why commonly the word strike is the same in both verses. You will strike his head, he will strike your heel. And also, just being a good East Texas boy, I was remembering a time not too long ago when we were in Lufkin, where I'm from, and we went to visit um, our grandmother. Barnabas, do you remember this? We went to Nani's house um, and we stepped outside on the porch as soon as we got there. I don't know why I went straight to the porch. I feel like I didn't even say hi to my mother-in-law, which probably was a, a big fail on my part, but it was probably because I was going to see if there were any pileated woodpeckers in her giant pine trees, which if you know what a pileated woodpecker is, then you're awesome. And if you don't know, you need to look that up. And so I followed Barnabas outside onto the porch. And of course, in Lufkin, the air is humid. It's very moist. And we step out onto the porch and Barnabas is going right to the back part of the porch, takes a couple of steps and behind some potted plants, which I couldn't see, I just see Barnabas go like this. And he stops like in midair, just like this. And I literally was like, what is he doing? What's going on? That's so weird. He was speechless. And I don't even remember how this got communicated, but I brought a picture of an East Texas copperhead. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And that's exactly what the, you remember this, buddy? Yeah, because you almost died that day. He was looking right at you just like that. I walked over to see what he was looking at, and indeed, there was a copperhead coiled up on Nani's porch behind some plants I hadn't seen. And Barnabas was just running out. Now, in his whole life, I don't think he had ever seen a copperhead, encountered a copperhead. We have not talked about snakes. We didn't have any protocol, but something in him knew, I better not step down on that guy. <laughs> and another reason I, I don't think it's best to interpret this text messianically, because if Barnabas would have got bitten by that copperhead, like, he really could have died. A heel strike from a venomous snake can be mortal. And so rather than, for me, and again, if you have a different perspective, it's okay. Many people interpret this text messianically. But for me, one of the things I think this text is trying to tell us about that's particularly relevant tonight is trying to remind you that you're in the fight of your life. That human beings, since this moment, are in a continuous, unresolved conflict, fight for their life against the forces of evil. When I was thinking about this, I was remembering uh, not too long ago, some of you guys know I have an affinity for Anglicanism. If you don't know what that means, you can ask me also about that. Pileated woodpeckers and Anglicanism would be a great fodder for conversation. 
But I was remembering not too long ago at my Anglican church when we went on an Easter Sunday and they had some baptisms. And one of the things that uh, the priest of that church, Father Sean, did was he took some holy water, which there's always holy water at the front of the service for you to walk in and to dip into. And part of the reason that's there is for you to remember your baptism. And I love that. I think that's really significant. I think that's what we should do. But another thing that happened that day was not only that, but Father Sean took that holy water and he started dipping a stick in it. And he started throwing it around the crowd. And I don't, I don't love that, honestly. I don't love getting wet. Like if I'm at a game and something gets spilled on me, like, eesh. those are some tough times for Joel. Sprinkling everybody, water in the face. And he's saying, remember your baptism. And I love that because one of the things that I'm being invited to remember is not just everything that God has done for me in Christ, which is beautiful and significant and the transformation that God's made in my life. One thing that I'm being invited to remember is that I am in a continuous, unresolved conflict with the forces of evil. Remember your baptism. How many of you guys got baptized? Yeah. Oh my, well, okay, in your life. Okay, let me rephrase the question. Way to go, guys. Batting a thousand around here. How many of you guys were, y'all didn't even let me finish the question. How many of you guys were baptized on the night of worship recently, just a few days ago here at Vista? Anybody? Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things I want you to know tonight, I want you to remember your baptism. I want you to know that part of the meaning of your baptism is that you have joined Jesus in a continuous, unresolved conflict with the forces of evil. And that's part of the reason that life is so difficult here on the earth for human beings. I love, actually, I was looking up some old Anglican liturgy uh, from the, the Book of Common Prayer from 1789. Listen to what it says. This is what they would say when someone's baptized. We receive this person into the congregation of Christ's flock and hereafter, he or she shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Jesus Christ crucified and to fight under his banner against sin, the world, and the devil, and to continue Christ as Christ's faithful soldier and servant until his or her life ends. That's some power. Remember your baptism, right? Remember that you are in an unresolved conflict with the forces of evil. I love how um, a wonderful Anglican who I'll probably quote every time I preach on Ash Wednesday, Fleming Rutledge, said it like this. She said, baptism is in part an immersion into the struggle between the future of God, which is absolutely certain, and the work of the evil one who will never cease to wage this battle until the final day, until Christ comes again. You're locked in the fight of your life. That's one of the things that we ought to remember today. Um, I decided to preach out of this Bible tonight on purpose. This is my ordination Bible that was given to me on August 9th, 2002. It was given to me by a faithful brother and a spiritual father to me, a man by the name of Matt Edwards. Carrie was actually there that day. We weren't even dating. I'm pretty sure she was skipping a bunch of school to come see me be ordained. Wow, look what the Lord did. Good job coming to my ordination. There's so many things I could say about Matt. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Matt and his investment in me. But I just wanted to read a couple of, <laughs> dude, you're gonna love this. A couple of things Matt wrote in my ordination Bible. I can't read them all because I only have 20 minutes. Joel, you are a dangerous man in the hands of the Lord. 
May you use this word like a battle axe in this war to the very end. Yes, yes, yes. One of the reasons I feel like I have a good understanding, and it's not perfect, but of this ongoing unresolved conflict against the force of evil because of what Matt deposited in me. And that's one of the things we're here to remember tonight. So what kind of people would show up on Valentine's Day to Ash Wednesday? People who realize they are in the fight of their lives against the forces of evil. Amen? Well, that's just one thing. I thought we should do more than one thing. And so this text continues in verse 16. To the woman, the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I wanted to talk to you just for a second about the fear of death. You might remember earlier in Genesis, the Lord had given specific instructions not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want Adam and Eve to usurp his authority, and then very specifically to try to start defining good and evil for themselves, which is ultimately what they did. But you might remember this from Genesis chapter two, verse 17. I think we have this on the screen. But from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. Everybody say, you will surely die. I wanna to talk to you about the fear of death. Look down in uh, Genesis chapter three, three, verse 24. After they had eaten, after the pronouncements that we just read, this was the conclusion of chapter three. So he, the Lord, drove the man out, that is out of the garden. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. You know, maybe you get this and you've thought about this a lot, but the big loss of exile from the garden was now we have no ability to get back to the tree of life, which means we are going to die now. All of a sudden, whereas access to the tree of life meant eternal life, now human beings have been exiled from the garden and now the fear of death hangs over our humanity like a specter. I'm not an expert on the pain of childbearing. But I did wanna say a few words about the pain of childbearing from my non-expert opinion as it relates to the fear of death and also about this working amongst the thorns and thistles and the work of life draining your vitality till you return to dust. I think I used to think about those things individually just as specific things, but only recently I've begun to think the thing that made those things so painful and so difficult was because the fear of death was hanging over them. Like, I don't think before the Lord pronounced these consequences about the pain of childbirth, that there was no pain in childbirth in bearing children before the fall. I kind of don't think that. Some people do think that. 
Some people think like, hey, no epidurals for me. I'm embracing the fall, baby. And if that's what you want to do, more power to you. That's amazing. But I don't think you necessarily have to do that because that's what this teaches. I think actually a better translation of the pain of childbearing would be something like what John Walton calls conception anxiety. That actually now people are going to have to think outside the garden before there's even a childbirth. Do we even want to bring a child into a world like this? And once someone is now pregnant, the life of the mother and life of the baby are on the line because there is distance between us and the tree of life and that presents all sorts of problems. Many people in this room have experienced acutely, including Carrie and I, who had a miscarriage between Jonathan and Barnabas. Complications in the pregnancy. Conception anxiety. Now, the pain of childbirth is multiplied because the fear of death hangs over mom and child in a way that it had not before. Same with thorns and thistles. I don't think thorns and thistles were a new invention after the fall. I think now you've got to get out in the thorns and thistles and it is working outside the garden and all the stuff we're working with is working with us in a non-cooperative way. And every little hack of a machete and Planting of a seed is slowly draining your vitality till you return to dust is what the scripture says. And not only that, now you're subject to having a puma jump on your back and kill you. Or a copperhead snake bite you in the heel. None of those things were true before the fall. But now, as I said, the fear of death hangs over human existence like a specter. And listen, I mean, even as we've prayed as a staff this week, there's a lot of fear of death in this house. Miscarriages and cancer diagnosis. And actual death happening, unfortunately, regularly among us. And I know that even as I talk about this, some of you are here and it could not be more heavy upon you and your situation, the fear of death. So what kind of people would skip out on a Valentine's date to come to Ash Wednesday? Well, definitely the kind of people that understand they're in the fight of their lives. And I bet some people who understand acutely that the fear of death hangs over humanity like a specter. I bet that's one reason you came tonight. And so I just wanted to wrap up my time with some better news than the fight of our lives and the fear of death. And I just want you, man... Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15 speaks so directly into the fight of our lives and the fear of death. I just wanna, I don't even wanna give a bunch of commentary on it. I just wanna read it over. I just wanna say, hear the good news. Listen to this. Hear the good news. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, dusty stuff, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same, that through his own death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And that he might set free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all our lives. Jesus has come to undo every terrible thing that the enemy did in the fall. Jesus has come to fight alongside you, to empower you and strengthen you as you are in the fight of your life with the forces of evil. Jesus has come to set some people free tonight, shockingly from the fear of literal death 
You've been enslaved to the fear of death, lifelong slavery to the fear of death. And because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, he has defeated the enemy and set you free from the fear of death because of the eternal life that he has offered anyone who's willing to repent and believe. And I love this, the last thing, and I wish I had more time, but the scripture is so beautiful how it starts piecing together. Remember we talked about future past, everybody say future past. Throughout the entire scripture, there's all this iconography and imagery and poetry and wisdom that's pointing humanity back to the past, but describing a future reality where all of the things that have been lost are being restored. I could go off on this, but I don't have time. So I can just tell you one way that is particularly beautiful to me. One of the things I love is how John, in John's gospel, John is trying to show us that Jesus is the new tree of life. In John chapter 12, he says that Jesus, or Jesus himself says, and John records it, that Jesus said, unless a, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot rise again and bear much fruit. Jesus is the new tree of life. He is the seed in the ground that's going to rise up and give eternal life. Jesus tells a little metaphorical parable about a vine and branches. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. That sounds like tree language to me. He's the seed that goes into the ground and rises up and bears fruit. He's the vine and we are the branches. My favorite is in John chapter six where he just straight up says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you indeed will have eternal life. John chapter six, verse 54. That is some straight up tree of life language. Eating of the tree of life so that you will never die. And Jesus says, I am that one. I have that power. I'm willing to give you that. And in doing that, you can be free from the fear of death. So what kind of people would show up on Valentine's Day to an Ash Wednesday service? Definitely people who understand they're in the fight of their life. Definitely people who are either enslaved or have been set free from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. And definitely people who are hoping for a future that looks a lot like the past where everything that was lost in the fall has been restored. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, there's certainly some people in this room who have been through some stuff, who are going through some stuff right now, and they probably walked into this room wondering why does everything have to be so hard? I pray we would take these moments to remember <laughs> that we're locked in a lifelong, continuous struggle against the forces of evil, and that's the main reason everything is so hard. But you've not left us on our own. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but they are mighty. You've given us mighty weapons. You fight for us and with us. 
And so I pray that people would have hope tonight. There's others in this room. And as we said, the fear of death is hanging over their life like a specter. And I pray they would, pray they would see Jesus as that seed. I pray they would take up the task of being a branch on the true vine. I pray they would partake of Jesus' flesh and blood and they would receive eternal life and be freed from the fear of death. So these are big things that only you can do. But I pray that as we receive these ashes and we remember these things that you'll give us hope, you'll give us encouragement and that as has already been said tonight, we will remember death does not have the final word in our story. What you have done for us in Christ does. And so we just want to confess and believe in the gospel. Amen.